All right, Jonathan. You're so welcome here. Bless you. Thank you. Well, guys, it's such a joy to be with you tonight. Wasn't that beautiful worship? Wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. Just great to be together and to be in His presence. In His presence, anything can happen. Anything can happen. The sick are healed in His presence. You know, lives are changed. Captives are delivered. It's been such a privilege over many years now. It's been, uh, I can hardly believe it. I, you know, I'm going to be 54 next, next month. Can you believe that? I started full-time when I was 19. And uh, yeah, I was four years old when I invited Christ into my life. Of course, I was a terrible sinner by then. But the truth is, we've all sinned and we all need salvation. And, and I can remember saying to my mom, I want Jesus in here. I didn't understand all the ramifications of that back then at that age. But I knew he came in when I prayed. And I grew up with an awareness of his presence. So over all these years now, 50, nearly 54 years and It'll be 35 years in January I've been full-time preaching the gospel in about 54 countries, and we've seen Jesus do amazing things. I do want to say, and it's so important to say, isn't it? It's Jesus who's done those wonderful things, because it is all Jesus who's done those wonderful things. But the many thousands of healings, the hundreds of thousands of salvations, the deliverances, the resurrections from the dead... We had two more resurrections from the dead recently in May. Uh, I hadn't seen any for about 10 years. And, uh, and just before going to Argentina, the Holy Spirit said to me, as we run a school of mission in England, and I was just preparing to, uh, to do my sessions in the school of mission on the Saturday, and the Holy Spirit said to me, preach on faith to raise the dead. Now, I, I'd preached on the doctrine of the resurrection from the dead on a number of occasions, but I'd never actually preached on faith to raise the dead. And uh, so, and the Holy Spirit said to me, preach it, and if you preach it, I'll do it. And that sounds like a bargain, doesn't it? But anyway, that's what the Lord did. And out in Argentina, a couple more got raised. It's been the first time for, for years. So, uh, yeah, so personally, now it's been about eight who've been raised. And, uh, you know, the team have seen, have seen more. And we're very grateful to the Lord for all of that. But you know, the biggest thing of all is this. The greatest thing in life is to know Him. The greatest thing in life is knowing Him because everything else flows out of that. Purpose flows out of that. It really does. I, I, I think next to knowing Jesus, knowing His love, knowing His presence in, in your life, the greatest gift that you can give to someone next to, to that, to His love and His salvation in their life, is purpose. So many people live their lives without purpose. I, I think in the UK, I don't know about South Africa, but in the UK today, they say that only about 65, well, they say, oh, I think the statistics are something like 65, 70% of everyone in the UK has no job satisfaction. I often say to people, I reckon I have the greatest job satisfaction of any job in the world. I challenge you. <laughs> you know, well, the joy it is to see people come to know Jesus. What a joy it is to see the Lord do miracles and change lives. And, and really, uh, today, I, I just want us to, I want to share the good news of Jesus with you, because it's absolutely life-changing. If you've got a Bible, uh, a hard copy like this, then uh, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 18 to 24. If you don't have a hard copy and you have it on your phone or something, you can flick there. It might even come up on the screen behind me. But I want to say this just before I pray. My prayer for every one of us tonight is that you will find new life and purpose in Christ tonight in a way that will change your life for the whole of time and eternity. Amen. I'm going to begin with a testimony that's not a Christian testimony, but it's very potent. 2004, the Olympics. Matt Emmons was the United States 
ace at shooting. He is a real crack guy with shooting, just an ace. And uh, he was so far ahead of everybody else in shooting in the 2004 Olympics that when it came to his last shot, all he needed to do, all he needed to do was to shoot anywhere, anywhere at all on the target. As long as he just got the target, it didn't matter where it was, even if he just got one point, you know, he would win outright. He was that far ahead. Anyway, everybody's watching to see what he does. He raises up the rifle. He breathes in. He just targets the target, pulls the, the trigger. Bang! It's a bullseye. Right on. Well, he thought that was it. Everybody cheered. But when the scoreboard came up, there were no points. Everybody wondered what on this earth has gone wrong. Has the, has the machinery in the, in, the, you know, in the scoreboard gone wrong? Or, you know, all of the guys are out there testing it to see what's happened? Actually, it turned out there was nothing wrong with the scoreboard. But Matt Emmons had stood in lane two and aimed at lane three. It was perfectly accurate, but he hit the wrong target. Zero points. So many people are like that in life. They're brilliant to what they do. They're going for it. It seems to them that they're hitting the bullseye, what they're doing, and then finally going to come to that day at the end when they face God and realize they were aiming at the wrong thing all the time. Where is your life headed? Where are you going? In the words of Jesus, you can gain the whole world, but if you lose your own soul, what does it profit you? My goodness me, a, a number of years ago, uh, I think by that stage I'd been about uh, 25 years full-time in ministry, uh, traveled the world and seen Jesus do amazing things. But anyway, I was working with a ministry where a whole load of different ministry appointments suddenly fell through. And so for the next couple of months as well, I suddenly had nothing in my diary. And we were coming up to Christmas, and we've got the family, and there's gifts, and there's, there's all the bills to pay, and I didn't have any, any extra cash. I, you know, so I, I needed some miracles. Now, I was so used to uh, just getting on my knees and praying and believing God and money coming. And so that's how, in fact, we've lived that way for 34 years. It made such an impression on my kids that when my youngest at primary school was asked, as all the kids were asked, they do this, you know, in the schools in England. I guess they do here too. How does your dad make a living? And all the different kids were responding and saying, well, he, he sells property or he, he's a teacher or he works at the bank. And it came to my son and he said, well, you know, he gets down on his knees and he prays and Jesus sends the money. <laughs> so, so, I, so he really got the point. But the thing is, is that, you know, here I was and I was praying, but no money was coming, and that's really strange. And so uh, I, I, the Lord kept saying to me, you know, if a man shall not work, he shall not eat. Well, that's a biblical principle. I've never had a problem with a good, honest day's work. And so I, I thought about it, and I, I thought, well, you know, uh, I, I'll see what's around. But I couldn't find anything that would bring in the kind of money that I needed for the family in, you know, in time. And so I talked to my brother about it. My brother is one of the top lawyers in the United Kingdom, and he doesn't need to work if you get my drift. He just does it because he likes the law and feels a sense of justice. He is one of the few lawyers in our nation standing up for gospel freedoms in our country to keep the doors open. And so please do pray for him. When I was a little kid, an old lady in the church had a prophecy for my parents and said, I've seen a vision of your little boys when they're older. And I see standing outside of parliament and uh, your youngest one, John, or Johnny as they called me in those days, he's got a Bible with a cross on it and he's going to be an evangelist and he's going to impact the UK and travel the nations and his older brother I saw him with a briefcase with a with a cross on it and God's going to use him in the marketplace and in government and and all of that kind of thing it's exactly come to pass well anyway my brother said to me John I tell you what at that time, he was running a legal firm. So he said, look, all of my lawyers are, are out. He said, with so many cases up at the Royal Courts of Justice and everything. He said, um, you know, you studied history and everything else. I'm not a lawyer, uh, but it's the same way of thinking. So he just said, you know, um, because of Magna Carta and everything, you can represent without being legally trained in the UK. So 
So he said, look, uh, all my lawyers are out. He said, if I just send you out to the Royal Courts of Justice and I'll pay you, uh, you know, what I earn, uh, you know, per hour. And I said, wow, okay, so what's that? He said, well, 250 pounds an hour. He said, um, and uh, I said, where do I sign? <laughs> you, know, you know, and so anyway, so that was it. And so I went up and down there, up and down to London to do this. I mean, as you can imagine, 250 pounds an hour, I was, you know, it kept me in money for the next three, four months. But anyhow, so I just did a week down there. I led a number of people to the Lord in the law courts and, um, and came back and got my offering. You know, that was the way it was. But the truth about it is, is that I was going up and down there. But I thought to myself, you know, just even after a couple of days, it was so well paid and everything else. But I thought to myself, you know, I know I could do this for a living, but I would never want to. I thought I've been totally spoiled. I've seen Jesus change lives. All the way from people in militia and terrorists and all things, all the way to government leaders. And I do have to say, by the way, they are a different breed between those two. Let me just say that. But uh, generally speaking. But, um, but anyway, the thing is, is that I, I thought to myself, Jesus has so changed my life. And we've seen him do so much, many wonderful things and miracles through the years. There is absolutely no joy like the joy of following Jesus and walking with him in the adventure of God in this world. I have sat on aeroplanes where occasionally I've been given a, an upgrade into business class and I've sat down next to multi-millionaires who've sat there and we've talked and they've looked in my eye and said to me, you know, John, if I, I would give all my millions to have half the purpose I see in your eyes. I had the joy, as I say, of leading. I told you last night and didn't get the chance to tell you the story had the joy of leading the top guy in the World Health Organization for anesthesia to the Lord on an airplane. We were flying back from Denmark. And I remember as we were flying back from Denmark there, um, you know, we started to talk. He's actually an Irishman, and I'm half Irish. And so as, as we're flying back, I, I struck up a conversation with him. I could see he was reading the Dublin Times. So, and he was looking at the property section. So I said, oh, you're, you're going to buy a property in Dublin. He said, no, I live there. I said, all right. I said, what are you doing then uh, uh, over in Denmark? He said, well, I was doing a conference. I said, oh, a conference. And uh, what was that about then? He said, well, I'm the top guy in the World Health Organization for anesthesia. And then he paused for a moment and said, don't make it too public. You know, he said, but, he said, but uh, the fact that anyone comes around, he said, from anesthesia is a miracle in itself, <laughs> And, uh, you know, we, and we chatted for a bit like this, uh, you know, and he said, so I was doing a conference for the World Health Organization on anesthesia. I said, all right. And he said, and what were you doing? I said, I was also doing a conference. He said, what was that on? I said, miracles, healing, and faith. <laughs> he said, sorry. I said, miracles, healing, and faith. So we chatted for a bit, and, uh, and then he said this to me that was remarkable. He said, you know, John, he says, there has to be a God. He said, oh, he said almost daily, he said, in the operating theater, he said, we get situations arise when somebody is booked in for an operation. We open them up, and when the surgeon opens up, them up, we look there, and just even before he's done anything, something moves in the body. And we see that the person doesn't need an operation anymore. He doesn't do the operation. He looks at us all and says, nobody talks about this. He said, we sew them up, we send them back up. And then we discover later on, he said that they're Christians or that Christians are praying for them. He said, it happens so regularly, it's no longer funny. <laughs> he says, there has to be a God. Anyway, and then he put his head back behind his Dublin Times, you know what I mean? So anyway, after a bit, the meal comes around, the air hostess comes around and they do all of this. And then, you know, we're about to come into land. And as we're about to come into land, my heart starts going. And I know that the Holy Spirit wants me to challenge him to give his life to Christ. So I said to him, uh, you know, he's still behind his Dublin Times. So I reached over, I pulled the Dublin Times down. And I said, you know what, sir? it's been great to chat. Great to know you a bit. You get to know you a bit. And I said, yes, you too, John. And uh, I said, I hope I see you again sometime. He said, yes, that would be nice. And then he looked at me and smiled and said, well, if not down here, well, maybe up there. And that was my entry. I said, that would be wonderful. I said, there's just one problem. He said, what's that? I said, I'm not sure if you're going to make it. 
He looked at me. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, do you know something? The Bible is absolutely explicit that we've all sinned and we need a Savior. Just going to church doesn't save you. It's a great thing to do, but it doesn't save you. I said, just living a good life doesn't save you. You need to be what Jesus said, born again. Jesus died on the cross not to start a Christian religion, but to die for our sins. As a substitute, he's the only one who could do it. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. And the Bible says, if you believe that and confess him as Lord, you'll be saved. I then I looked at him eyeball to eyeball. I said, honestly, tell me, sir, is there any good reason why you couldn't give your life to Jesus right now? I'll never forget his response. I've had lots of guys say this to me over the years. You'd be amazed. And he looked at me and said, I have waited all my life for someone to ask me that question. But no one ever has. He said, in all honesty, he says, there is no good reason why I should not give my life to Jesus. And there is every good reason why I should. And he said, I just don't know how. I don't know how to pray. But if you would help me and give me the words, I would pray it. And I promise you, I would mean it. And there and then, he took my hand and we prayed together and he gave his life to Christ. Hallelujah. And I am going to meet him again, if not here, then up there. <laughs> Glory to God. Yes. Well, look, it's the gospel that changes lives. And my prayer is today that if you don't know Jesus, that you will come to know Jesus tonight. Everything changes when you come to the cross of Christ. We all need to be saved. I was always taught as a, a young man, sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act, you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. We've all sinned. We've all made choices that we regret. And I want to say this to you today. Jesus doesn't just want to come and expose what's in your cupboard. The things that maybe you don't want anyone else to know about. He's going to make you a brand new cupboard. <laughs> He'll make you a brand new person on the inside. He'll take away your sin. And he'll save you. Religion can't save you. Just turning over a new leaf can't save you. You need to be made brand new on the inside. Christ comes and he changes us and makes us new creations inside. Let me pray for us and we'll read the scripture. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for every one of us. We thank you that you love us. And I pray that tonight in this place, that Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you will reveal yourself to each and every one, that you will draw close to every one of our hearts and lives tonight. I pray, Father, that you would stretch out your hand to heal those who need miracles from you tonight. I pray, Father, that those maybe who are struggling with their mental health or maybe with addictions, that you will heal, that you will deliver, that you will set free. And most of all, Lord, I pray, don't let one person under the sound of my voice be lost, but let each and every one be saved, that they would know the joy of forgiveness and of relationship with you for time and eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 to 24, the Apostle Paul says these words, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I'm putting emphasis on this right now so we really get what the scripture is saying. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You understand at this moment, our response to the cross exposes our destiny. Our response to the cross exposes where we're at. Where are you?
you today. It's easy to place you. It's easy to find out the direction that your life is headed in by your reaction to the message of the cross of Christ. You're, uh, there's only two roads. You're either on the road to perish, which is actually the natural course of humanity outside of Christ, or you are on the, on the pathway of salvation. You have been saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Amen. That's a quiet amen. But let me just say, if you have been saved, you're going to be saved. I haven't got the time to go through all of that with you, but let me just tell you, it is so. Well, it's amazing, isn't it, that Paul the Apostle, in his letters, writes in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, he writes and says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, my encounter with Christ in his cross has changed the entirety of my value system. Everything that I live for is now different. The world doesn't have a hold on me anymore. The cross has changed everything. Let me say that even in Christian ministry, if there is anyone who could have boasted about the number of people they had seen saved, the number of miracles they had seen. He saw the whole of Asia Minor come to the obedience of faith through the power of signs and wonders. My goodness me, if there is somebody who could boast about apostolic ministry, signs and wonders, multitudes coming to Christ, the number of churches he planted, the number of leaders he raised up, if anybody could boast about that, it would be the Apostle Paul. And yet here he says and says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Christ by which I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. The message of the cross is the power of God. We don't need just a little bit of personality adjustment. We don't need just a bit of mental healing. Brothers and sisters, it's at the cross where we die to our old life. And we are raised with Christ in newness of life. Amen? Glory to God. Look as it goes on. It's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer or philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, it pleased God, gave him pleasure, that through the foolishness of the message preached, he would save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Hallelujah. Wonderful. May I just say this, that uh, it's very, very powerful the way he addresses the Greeks and the Jews. You may wonder why he addresses those two different groups of people. Let me just say for a moment, Jesus addresses the Greeks, number one, sorry, Paul addresses the Greeks, number one, because this is Corinth in Greece that he's addressing. It's the time of Plato and Aristotle and all the great philosophers. And he wants to communicate to them that God is not impressed with our intellectual knowledge. <laughs> what he's after, he's after our hearts. You know, I've led a number of PhDs to the Lord and guys who are, even guys who have been multiple PhDs, professors. And at the end of the day, you know something, if you are a double PhD and you've got all kinds of letters behind your name, but you're dying and you're on your sickbed with cancer, you would exchange all of your PhDs to live and carry on with your family, wouldn't you? Of course you would. It can't save you. It's good to be clever. But remember that God made your brains in the first place. So he's a lot brighter. He owns your bank account. And we'll all give an account to him one day for how we spent it. So look, you know, there's the Greeks. But what about the Jews? Well, the reference to Jews, why is the message of the gospel to Jews a stumbling block? 
Well, it's primarily this. It's the issue of self-righteousness. And, and I can tell you, as a preacher of the gospel, from time to time I go into prisons. I love preaching in prisons. I really do. They are the easiest places in the world to preach. Everybody wants to be free. Everybody knows they've done something wrong. Everybody knows they need forgiveness. It's so easy to preach in prisons. And we see so many guys get saved in prison. But there's a whole load of people outside of prisons who have an internal prison but think they're okay. The self-righteous are the hardest to preach the gospel to because they think they're okay because they've lived a pretty decent life. And so let me just say this to you for a moment. I want to share a story, a true story, that illustrates the point. I was preaching the gospel a couple of years ago, working with a church from New Frontiers, a New Frontiers church in the London borough of Sutton. Can I just ask for a moment if we could put up the, the volume on this? Is that all right? Because of that noise and I don't want to lose my voice. I've only just started here. Thank you. But I, I was ministering in, uh, in Sutton, the London borough of Sutton, and doing some evangelism and some training. Anyway, we were down on the high street, and while I'm preaching the gospel there, Sutton is an interesting place in London. On one side, you've got more millionaires than almost anywhere in England. At the other side of it, you have, the, um, you have one of, if not the, poorest housing estate in the whole of London. And they all meet in the center. So I'm there preaching, and I've just led a guy to the Lord who came from the rough estate, who was a drug addict. He came to me, and actually I had a brand new shirt on that I really liked, but he was in a right mess. And he came, and he gave his life to the Lord, and there's, there's dirt and there's snot, and he's crying and weeping, and, you know, I'm embracing him. Anyway, that was the end of that nice shirt. But anyway, it didn't matter. <laughs> He came through to the Lord, and it was so precious as I held on to him, and he's sobbing, and he encounters Jesus, and the joy that hits him when he gives his life to the Lord. Now, you know, out of the corner of my eye, while I'm holding this fella, out of the corner of my eye, I see a guy dressed in a three-piece suit. He's a very smart-looking guy. We're going to call him Mr. Armani, okay, for the sake of... And he's standing there, and he's watching me, and he really is looking more and more angry. I can see this kind of red coming under his collar as he looks at me. Eventually, I let go of the ex-drug addict to, to the pastor. He's just given his life to Christ, and it's beautiful what the Lord's doing with him. When I do that, and finish, suddenly, Mr. Armani steps up to me. He puts his hand out to me, and he says, Jonathan! He was so forthright, I kind of inwardly prepared myself for what was to come next. So I took hold of his hand. I said, yes, sir. How can I help you? He said, I've been listening to you preach. I said, oh, good. I said, I hope it's been a blessing to you. But he wasn't blessed at all. He looked at me and he said to me, I want you to know that I'm a very good man. I thought it was a strange way to start a conversation. Anyway, I said, well, good for you, sir. I'm pleased to hear it. And then he said to me, uh, but I want you to know, he said, I have a great job, a great marriage, a wonderful family. I am highly paid. I don't need God. I don't need religion. I don't need Jesus. And I certainly don't need forgiveness. I thought, woo. I said to him, look, you know, sir, with all due respect to you, I don't want to take up your time. You're obviously a busy sort of man and all of that. And uh, to be honest with you, I said, let me just shake your hand again. It's very rare that I meet a perfect man. You know, I, and in, fact, uh, uh, in fact, at the last one I met was Jesus Christ. But anyway, there we go. Uh, so I just looked him in the eye. For a I said, but I tell you what, just before you go, uh, I said, um, I, I know you don't feel I have anything to offer you today, so I don't want to waste your time. But it would be good perhaps just to sow a few seeds into your thinking to think about for a minute. I said, it, it does come to a lot of people as a bit of a surprise that the law of God was not given to make us holy. I said, the Bible says that. The Bible actually says that the law was given to expose sin. So it's really a mirror because the law can't save you. It shows you God's righteous standards but gives you no power to achieve them. 
So the whole point is to lead you ultimately to salvation. So here's the issue. I said, what we're going to do is, is just for a couple of minutes, I don't want to waste your time, but for a couple of minutes, why don't we have a look in the mirror? So I said, we'll forget the first one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Because nobody does that perfectly every day, which means everybody sins every day, and everybody needs forgiveness every day. But let's just move on for a minute. I said, and the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But look, let me just point a couple of them out. Here's one. The law of God says you shall not murder. Have you ever murdered anybody, sir? He said, I want you to know I've never murdered anybody. I said, I'm so pleased to hear that. And I said, but the thing is, Jesus goes deeper, you see, and he says that if you hate someone, you've murdered them already. Have you ever hated anybody, sir? You ever hated that business partner who diddled you out of some money or... That person who cut you up as you went round the roundabout and maybe something slipped out your mouth or something. Anything like that ever happened to you, sir? He looks at it. Well, well. Well, well, yeah, well, yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay, look, I, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to put you on a condemnation or anything, but I, let, let's just move on. I, so just, uh, here's another one. The law of God says that you shall not commit adultery. Have you ever committed adultery, sir? He said, I want you to know I've always been faithful to my wife. I said, that's great. I'm really pleased to hear it. But you see, Jesus goes deeper and says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery, which probably means the whole male population has at some point or another. I said, you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart, sir? He looked at well, 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 well. <laughs> he said, well, haven't we all? I said, all right, okay, quite. let's just move on, shall we? So what about just a third one? Just one more. Let's just pick one. Uh, I said the law of God says the Lord will not hold guiltless the man who takes his name in vain. Have you ever said, oh my? He went quiet for a minute and said, yes. I said, okay, look, let's have a quick rewind, shall we? So we began this conversation effectively with you telling me you don't need God, you don't need Jesus, and you certainly don't need forgiveness. In fact, basically, you're a perfect man. And by the end of our conversation, a few minutes later, you freely admitted to me that actually you're an adulterous, murderous blasphemer. Um, I said, don't you think by now that perhaps you need forgiveness? And at that moment, he really came under conviction and asked for help. Can I just say, the truth is, we all need forgiveness. The Bible says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's why Christ came. He came to save us from our sins. Tonight, if you don't yet know Jesus, let me tell you today, there is no other Savior. There is no other name by which we can be saved. He is the way. He's not a way. He is the way. He is the truth. He's not my truth or your truth. He is the truth. And He is the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. But because He died in our place, we can come and come with confidence. So I'm going to give us right now just four things. There are more than this, but four things that Jesus did for us in his death on the cross. The first one, and we've referred to it briefly, is righteousness. Righteousness. The actual word in the Greek of the New Testament that was originally written in Greek, the actual word is justification. It's translated into parts of our New Testament Bible as righteousness. But it literally means to be declared not guilty. It came from the Greek legal system. How can we, as people who have sinned, how can we stand before a holy God and be declared by him not guilty? This is actually the message of the cross of Christ. God is total love and he is total holiness. And that means that because God is totally just and righteous and holy, he cannot just wink at sin. He can't just forgive sin because he's a nice guy. If God does that, he couldn't be trusted. Can you imagine if around Cape Town there was a multi-murderer and he gets caught by the police, he gets brought up before, them, before the court. He stands before the judge and the judge reads out all of the crimes he's committed the horrific things he's done, the families that have lost loved ones, the, the lives that have been broken because of what he's done. 
And then the judge leans over him and says, you know what? I'm a nice kind of guy and I just want to say to you, just do better next time, hey? I forgive you. Go your way and try your best not to do it again, hey? There'd be a public outcry, wouldn't there? And do you know why there'd be a public outcry? Because the punishment doesn't fit the crime. The whole of Cape Town would be on edge. No one would feel safe. No one would trust the police. No one would trust the government. And no one would trust the judiciary. Dangerous world to live in. God has to punish sin. How could he punish sin demonstrating his holiness and his perfect justice, his total trustworthiness, but still forgive us and demonstrate his love towards us, demonstrating his perfect justice and his perfect love all at the same time because he didn't want us to pay the penalty for our sins. The answer is in the cross of Christ. God became a man in Christ. He set the price of sin and he met the price of sin in his own death. And he came in the person of Jesus, paying the penalty for the things that you and I have done wrong. And three days later was raised back to life. And because he's paid the price for the sins of humanity, if you'll put your faith in him today, as your Savior, there is no one else like him. There is no, let me tell you right now, I've studied them all. There is no religion on the face of the planet that teaches about a creator who loves his people, loves the people he made so much, he was willing to come and die in their place and pay the penalty for the things they've done wrong, that they can have relationship with him and their lives be restored to ultimate purpose and fulfillment in knowing him. You won't find that outside of Christianity. It doesn't exist. Let me tell you, Christianity is unique. Christ is unique. Yeah. The first thing Jesus did for us in his death on the cross was that 2 Corinthians 5.21 declares it. God made him who knew no sin to be made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If I put this in common vernacular, common situation, imagine that you owed, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't know the value of the rand, so, the rand, so forgive me, I'm, just, I'm going by pounds here. But say you owed 10,000 pounds and I was a multimillionaire. And I said to you, you know what? Come with me. We're going to go down to the lawyer's office and we're going to sign a contract and all my millions will become yours and all your debt will become mine. In monetary terms, that's exactly what Christ has done for you and me. We all have a debt that we cannot pay because the price of sin is not religion. The price of sin is not just trying harder and try better or saying sorry. The price of sin is death. And Christ met it completely. And he's the only one who was qualified to do it. He's the only one who could do it. And why did he do it? Because he loves you. And he loves me. And he loves every one of us. Thank God. There are people in this room tonight, and I tell you this by the Spirit of God, who have looked for love in all the wrong places. You looked for love in a woman. You looked for love in a man. Slept around, thinking that sexual fulfillment would fulfill you and be the love that your heart longed for. But you ended up feeling used and dirty. And Jesus tonight wants you to come to him and be cleansed and find the fulfillment and the love that is in Christ, in Christ alone. He'll release you tonight and set you free. There's great joy and great peace and great cleansing through the cross of Christ. Jesus became sin with our sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Glory to God. I can tell you so many stories of leading guys to the Lord who, my goodness, at one particular time, I, I, I was bumping along in the Philippine Islands to go and preach the gospel in the stronghold of Al-Qaeda. And I was there bumping along on a truck 
it wasn't a nice congregation like this in Cape Town. <laughs> and uh, Jesus was doing amazing miracles. And many people were turning to the Lord. And we were going right up into the mountains. And we had, uh, we had two hours to kill. Excuse the pun. <laughs> but we're bouncing along in such heat and humidity, being thrown around, holding on for dear life. Because we got two hours to kill, we started, you know, we started to share testimony with one another. I got 13 Filipino pastors and evangelists in there with me. And as we're bouncing along, the first one begins. I was an Islamic terrorist. I'd killed 12 people before I ever heard the good news about Jesus. And then I gave my life to Christ and he changed me. And I knew I was forgiven. And today I spend my life seeking to reach out to others I used to kill with and to share Jesus with them. They threatened me to take my life, but I'm not afraid. Christ gave me my life back. And I just thought, wow, what an amazing story. And we all sang a song of praise to God. And then we went on to the next one. Well, the next one says, well, I was a multi-murderer. I, I burned down a village and killed all these people. But, but then someone told me about how Christ died for my sins. And, and he gives his life to Christ. And, and you know, I became a radical evangelist. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. By the time it gets round to me, I realize I'm in a truck full of ex-murderers. And I'm so glad they're saved. <laughs> And really, you know, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a public school boy from the south of England. I, you know, about the toughest thing I ever did was give somebody a little, little punch in the rugby scrum you know, <laughs> on the school playing field, you know. I mean, goodness sake, we have absolutely nothing in common, naturally. But it's like we've known each other all our lives. We have the same smile on our face, the same light in our eyes. Our hearts are rejoicing in the same salvation. Only Jesus can do that. He took our sin that we may be made righteous before God. That's the only, let me tell you something, there is no greater righteousness than God's righteousness. It's a righteousness that is credited to us. We don't earn it. No one Christian has more righteousness than another. We're all on the same playing ground. Christ died for our sins and not only took our sins, but gave us his own righteousness. Glory to God, sealed by his blood and by the work of his spirit in our lives. So righteousness is ours through the cross. Secondly, healing is ours through the cross. Isn't it been, has it just been wonderful this morning? People were healed here today. People were healed here last night. Jesus has been healing people right here over these last 24 hours. We've seen so many healed by God's power to the glory and praise of God. I can remember in India a wonderful, wonderful man being healed. An Indian man, this Hindu, an old Hindu man, born with cerebral palsy, used to drag himself around the platform, you know, around the, the town. Everyone knew him. I love the way that God chooses sometimes just to suddenly pick out somebody and demonstrate his power in, in, in a way that this is someone connected to so many other people. So we're ministering into this city, into this area. The first night, 10,000 people turn up. I preach the gospel. And the power of God falls on this old, the 65-year-old Hindu Indian with his limbs all twisted. And he used to drag himself along with this big stick in the town. Everyone knew him. Nobody touched him. Nobody laid hands on him. The power of God falls on him. And right in the middle of the crowd, click, 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 all his limbs go straight. Tears pouring down his face. He comes up the front and he's on the platform with me. And I said to him, sir, what has Jesus done for you? And he tells me a story. And I said, that's amazing and wonderful. Praise God. I said, I turned to the crowd. Does anyone know this man? The whole crowd roared with praise. It all went on Prime TV the next day. So we had 25,000 people the next day. The next day, in the middle of the service, 40 deaf people got their hearing. 25 blind people saw. Crutches start flying around. It went out the next day on Prime TV. So the next day we have 40,000. And then on the last night, 60,000. And I can remember it because 
led about 5,000 of them to Jesus in the appeal, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit said to me, I'm going to come like a wind. So I said to everyone, it was a warm, still, balmy Indian night. And so I just said, everybody needs a miracle from Jesus. Put a hand on your body, raise another one to heaven. I'm stepping back now. The Lord's going to come himself. He's going to come as a wind. It's one of those moments where you just pray you really heard God. <laughs> and I stepped back and I just went quiet. And I just bowed my head and I just went quiet and prayed. I said, wait on him. Suddenly out of nowhere... This strong wind starts to blow, and you can feel God in the wind. The hair on the back of my neck just stood up on end. And suddenly this wind starts to blow across these thousands of people. Demons start screaming out of people. Others are shouting, I can see, I can see, I can hear. And my goodness, and we had an hour and a half of testimonies of miracles after literally just about two minutes of a wind, the wind of the Spirit of God blew through that crowd. You know when Jesus does it, my goodness, he can do in a few moments what we can't do in a lifetime. It was glorious. 54,000 came to Christ over four days. And 186 new churches were planted in the three months afterwards. Let me tell you, there is power in the message of the cross to forgive our sins to make us righteous, to heal us of sickness and disease, to make us whole in Jesus' name. Let me tell you, there is real freedom in the cross of Christ. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. When you start going in ministry and sharing the gospel with people out where they are, you very quickly discover, this happens to us regularly on the streets of the UK. People say, could you come to my house and get rid of that evil presence that's in our home? I don't know what it is. There's like a dark shadow over my life or over my family. And, you know, I've had multiple miscarriages or there's this sickness that goes through the family and this and this and this. And why do we, we make a bit of money and it's gone? We, make it, we always seem to just about get there and then everything goes wrong. It's like a curse. But Christ became a curse for us that we may receive the blessings of Abraham. God wants to bless you. Break off every curse. The Bible says that in his death he delivered us from the power of darkness and we were translated into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood even the remission of sins. Thank God for freedom. I don't know what you need freedom from today. We are living in an age of addiction. Alcohol addiction, drug addiction, sexual addiction. These are the big ones. But Jesus sets captives free. Let me just pick out one story of a friend of mine called Alan. Alan was a great guy, a really nice fella. But he was desperate for a job, and the only job available to him was to become a publican. And so he took on the pub. He thought he could handle his drink, and all was fine. But like a lot of people who think that way, he ended up an alcoholic. He came to such a, a, a stage in alcoholism, he had been through six drying out sessions, with Alcoholics Anonymous, and he would come back, and he was always straight back onto the drink again. He got to a place he couldn't even function without, a, without taking a liter of vodka to start the day with. It was so bad, and this is the time we met him as a family, it got so bad that the doctor said to him, if you don't stop drinking, you'll be dead in three months. Your liver is shot. Thank God for some wonderful South African ministries. Because the next week, we had Ray McCauley in England. And he came and he visited our church. And we put on a gospel event. And Ray preached and gave an appeal. The first one who got up and came down the front was our friend Alan. As he came down the front, Ray pointed at him and said, Sir, I don't know what this is about, but the Spirit of God says to you, never again. 
From that moment to this, and we're talking over 35 years, he has never touched a drop of alcohol again. He was totally healed and he loves and serves Jesus. Let me tell you, one word from God, one word from God is enough to deliver you and set you free tonight. But you need to come with honesty. Come into the light and let Jesus set you free. Choose to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. There's such power in that. So many with addictions. There's a root of pain. There's a root of, of self-comfort, of looking for comfort in the wrong places. And the Lord wants to heal you of the pain in your heart. And he wants to set you free from the self-medication of the addiction. You can be free today. Last of all, let me tell you this is point four. The cross means for those who believe in Jesus, no fear of death. No fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, let me read this to you. Beautiful scripture. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says this. When I get there. Inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, human bodies, he himself, that's Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I think the greatest fear of humanity is the fear of death. It's associated fears. The fear of dying. The fear ultimately of rejection by God. It's a horrible way to live. God never intended us to live that way. And tonight you can be free from the fear of death. Rick Warren, who wrote the tremendous book, The Purpose Driven Life, I recommend it to you. It is available on Amazon. He comes to the, to the last chapter, and he makes this statement that as the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, 29,000 people, he has been at the bedside of many famous entrepreneurs, sports and media personalities. He says in those last moments before they die, not one of them has ever said to him, Pastor, please check my stocks and shares. How's my money? How are my popularity ratings? They all ask, is everything going to be all right, Pastor? Where am I going? He says, somehow those last moments bring sharply into focus what life is really all about. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. And deep on the inside of us, there is a knowing that there is more to life than the sort of nine-to-five workplace. That we were made for more. And it's true. Everything in this life that is good was given by God. But take him out of the picture. And there's a certain emptiness in the heart. We were made for a relationship with him. God's design and desire was not to give us just a set of rules. He wants us to know him as our loving heavenly father. And us as his sons and daughters. And Jesus' death and resurrection have all made that possible. Thank God. Do you know, close with this account. It's a, a true account from my brother. I told you he's one of the top lawyers in the UK. He told me this personally when he first went on the bar. He said to me, John, a really unusual thing happened today. I said, what's that, Paul? He said, um, the Lord Chief Justice of England invited a number of us new guys to come and present a, uh, a small case before him uh, in his chambers. And he just wanted to see what talent was coming through. So uh, we all did a small case in front of him. And afterwards, everybody left, but he asked to see me personally. So he said, I wonder what all of this was about. I wondered if I was in trouble or something. 
But he took me aside and then sat down and said, Paul, he said, I understand you're a Christian. He said, and a genuine one at that, a born-again Christian. He said, uh, yes, your lordship, I am, but why do you ask? He said, well, just for your interest. He said, it's been my interest over many years to examine the evidence, he said, the internal evidence, that's the Bible, and the external secular history evidence of Christ's physical resurrection from the dead. He said, let me just say to you, he said, if all the evidence was read out in a British court of law, he said, if at the end of the day, the decision was made that Jesus was not raised from the dead on that third day, he said, it would be laughed out of court. He said, because the evidence is so overwhelming. Let me say to you for your encouragement, Paul, Christ was most definitely raised from the dead on that third day. Or it says, by all the evidence of history and by all the principles by, in law that we determine truth, he said there is absolutely no doubt about it. Christ was physically raised from the dead on the third day. And then he paused for a moment and said, so you ask me, why am I not yet a Christian? He said, let's not have any of this, this rubbish that it didn't happen. He said, it's totally true. He said, the only reason why I'm not a Christian is I like my sin too much. He said, and I just hope, he said, that the Almighty will have mercy on me that as I take my last breath on my dying bed, that I will remember to cry out to Jesus to save me. You know something? That's a dangerous way to live. And I'll tell you why. I'm just being really honest with you. If I can share my heart with you, I told you at the beginning of the message, by January the 1st, it'll have been 35 years, I've been a full-time evangelist trying to help people to come to Jesus. And um, in those years, I have observed that the Lord comes to people at different times in their lives. Very often when they're very young, little kids, and maybe there's the opportunity of Sunday school or they hear, or maybe somebody in the family knows Jesus and tells them about the Lord. And, but say they harden their heart and they say no to the Lord. They go on through life. They become teenagers. And, and do you know that some of their friends at school join the Christian union and they start to get on fire for Jesus. But again, they harden their heart and they say no. Time goes on, they get married and, and life goes on. And, and maybe then they have a child. And when that child is born... They see that little baby come out of the, of the womb and they're stunned by the, the beauty of it and the amazing creation of God. They feel there has to be a God. They become God conscious. But again, they close their heart to the Lord. Time goes on further and maybe they go through trouble. Maybe they go through a divorce and maybe the kids leave home and, and all of that and they realize their need of help and they cry out to God and suddenly things get better. But again, they harden their heart to the Lord. Finally, they start getting into their latter years. Friends start dying. Family members around start dying away. They start to feel they're all on their own. But again, they harden their heart to the Lord. The danger is if you keep hardening your heart, you condition it so that when that final time comes, where you need more than ever to say yes to Jesus, you cannot find it in your heart to do so. I want to just say this to you, and you may have heard me say it last night to people who gave their lives to Christ here. I have seen hundreds of thousands of people come to know Jesus. I have never ever met anyone who regretted giving their life to Christ. But I have met many who regretted they didn't give their life to him earlier. Jesus is not going to take away the joy of your life. He's going to give you joy. He will change your life. And he'll change your heart and your desires. And you'll be thinking to yourself, my goodness, why didn't I do this earlier? A number of years ago, I did a mission in the south of England in a fairly old, staid, denominational church. And in that week, there was an old guy who was 86 years old who gave his life to Christ. 
Six months later, I came to revisit that church, and the pastor of it said to me, John, it's wonderful what the Lord did in the mission, and it's wonderful about the people who got saved. Do you remember that 86-year-old man who gave his life to Christ? I said, yes, I do. He said, is he still around? He said, yes. In fact, he'll be here this morning in church. I wonder if you could just give a pastoral word to him. I said, whatever for? He said, well, it's great that he's got saved, but you know what? He's in all the meetings, in all of them. He, not only the Sunday morning, the Sunday evening. He said, well, that's great, but he comes to the men's meeting. That's great, but he even goes to the women's meetings. He even goes to the children's meetings. He, he tries to do anything that's on. He's there. He said, it, it, you know, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Do you think you could do something? I said, well, yeah, all right, leave it to me. I'll think of something. Anyway, I, I saw the guy, and I approached him, an 86-year-old guy. I, I said to him, you know, sir, it's so good to see you again. I understand you're going on with Jesus. He said, oh, yes. He said, he said it's wonderful, John. He said, I never knew that this was what it was like to be a Christian. He said, the joy and the love and the peace. and the, He said, it's fantastic. He said, I'm just so glad that you came six months ago, and I gave my life to the Lord. I said, well, yes, absolutely, it's wonderful. I, I said, but can I just have a, you know, a, just a, a, a little word, just a sign. <laughs> he said, oh, of course, you know, so we came aside. I thought, how am I going to say this to him? I just, I said, you, you know, it's great that you're so enthusiastic and you're in all the meetings and everything, but really, the, the women's meetings, you know, and the, the kids and all that, you know, the pastor's a little bit concerned, you know, it just looks a bit inappropriate. He looked at me for a moment, his old boy, tears start to come down his cheeks. He said, John, you don't understand. I lived without this, without this joy, without this love, without this purpose for 86 years of my life. No one ever told me what it was like to know him. He said, I'm just trying to to make up for lost time. <laughs> you know, I'll be really honest with you. The only Christians I ever find who are a bit disappointed in their, with their Christian experience is those who don't live with the gear lever in full gear. They leave it running in neutral. They never reach out to other people with the gospel. They don't pray for the sick. They don't intercede for anybody. They're not into church life with both feet. They kind of hang around the edges. They're the ones who get disappointed in life. Very often. I know there's challenges and trials that, that come to everyone at some point or another in life. But, but here's the thing. Is that when you know the Lord, you can have the two people going side by side, going through the same thing. But the person who is at, who's on fire for Jesus... Even in the most dire of circumstances, there is a joy and there is a knowing of God and a peace and a closeness with the Lord that strengthens you to go through even the most traumatic of things and see the Lord bring something beautiful even out of difficult things. To know his presence with you in your life. Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation, but cheer up, I have overcome the world. So I'm going to ask you today, where are you headed? Are you living full on for Jesus? Whatever you do as an occupation, be that for Jesus. But it's not primarily what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the real you, deep on the inside. Where is your life headed? Where will you spend eternity? Do you really know the Lord? The Bible says this, and I close with this. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you believe, see how personal it is. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. This is the thing I can't do for you. Lots I can do for you and pray for you and, and seek to counsel and encourage you and, and all of those things. But I cannot repent for you. I cannot forgive for you. I cannot believe for you. I can't confess for you. Those are things that we all have to do personally before God. But if you come to him, you admit your sin, 
You call on him to save you. You put your faith in the fact he died for you and rose again. Acknowledge him as Lord. I promise you, he will save you. He will come by his spirit to live in your heart. And he'll make you a brand new person, a son or a daughter of the living God. And you can live knowing that heaven will be your eternal home and enjoying some of heaven in the meantime, in the here and now. I wonder for a moment if we could bow our heads and close our eyes in the presence of God. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And now is the acceptable moment. We don't know if we'll have another time, but we have at this time, right now, in the grace of God. I'm going to pray a prayer, a similar prayer that I prayed when I became a Christian. It's totally based on the Bible. The Lord delights to answer it. If you have never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer and mean it from your heart. Jesus will come to live in your heart today and save you. If you've been away from God, you want to come back to the Lord with all of your heart. This is the moment to do so. Pray the prayer and the Father's waiting for you here with open arms. And everybody else, just pray the prayer to support those who need to for a first time or a recommitment of their life to Christ. Let's say this together to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead. And I believe that you alone can forgive me, save me, and change my life. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I turn from my sins to follow you. And I boldly acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. I'm going to love you and serve you as long as I live. Thank you for hearing my prayer. I receive you in Jesus' name. Amen.